So today I want to continue with the theme that I brought up last time, which is about taking everything as learning, taking every experience as learning. And what I want to do today is to review briefly where we were last time, what we covered last time, and then go into some further territory, particularly talking about what supports us in taking everything as learning, taking every experience as learning. After last time, the invitation was to work with this teaching or this principle in the last week, to start maybe at the beginning of the day with the intention, may I take everything that arises as much as possible as learning. To bring that intention in, of course, particularly to challenging situations, but it also could be to uh, wonderful experiences. Because as we saw last time, the two places where we tend to lose awareness are when things are wonderful or uh, very pleasant and when they're unpleasant, when there's some distress. At those uh, two times, we tend to be driven somewhat by the conditioning in which with the pleasant, we want it, we want more of it, we grab at it, and with the unpleasant, we want to get rid of it. And so for each of those, we have a, a variety of strategies we use. With the unpleasant, we might use, if it's an interpersonal unpleasantry, we might use anger, judgment, blaming, either of self or of other. If it's pleasant, we might get lost in fantasy or just get lost in wanting. And so uh, there's a particular focus when we look at the theme of taking everything as learning to look at how we work and make workable uh, pleasant and unpleasant experiences, particularly those that are more intense or those that are at the sort of a higher, in terms of particularly of difficulties, higher on the degree of difficulty scale. So that's what we opened up uh, last time when we saw how this principle of taking everything as learning and I, I very much look forward to hearing what people found, what people explored during the last week, the insights, the challenges, the uh, principles that, you, that we discovered. How many actually did work with that theme in the last week? You know, significantly. So that's a, that's a nice group of people. So I'll, I'll have a strong intention, which is sometimes hard for me, to leave plenty of time. <laughs> at the end for our, our time for interaction discussion, which is actually my favorite time. And, but sometimes I also seem to like to talk, so, so I have to be careful of that tendency. Is, is that an attachment to the pleasant? I don't know. We'll see. Okay. So, um, Another way of saying this is that we want to take everything as practice. The whole model of practice, the, the, we use the word practice to mean spiritual practice, the whole basis of that is that we want increasingly for every situation to come under the framework of practice, part of which means may this be workable and may I find ways to make this difficulty or this distress workable. May I find ways to keep the framework of learning even when something is going very well and we're um, tempted just to cruise, to take things for granted. There's a wonderful uh, learning theory which captures some of this, which, which says there, there, are three, there are three aspects of our life. There's the, the comfort zone, the discomfort zone, and the overwhelm or panic zone. <laughs> and guess where we learn the most? It's in the discomfort zone. I think we actually can learn a lot in the comfort zone if we actually keep the lens of learning 
available. But we learn a lot in the discomfort zone, so a lot of what is needed is to both remind ourselves of that intention and then, then to find practical ways to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. But remembering that it's in the range where it's workable. So last time when, for example, I asked uh, what are the kind of situations uh, with which it's difficult to take things as learning, a lot of the examples actually were difficult family situations or I remember there were uh, quite a number of different situations involving, a lot of them involved family, involved um, sometimes finances, involved, one of them I remember involved car repair, another, another of them involved um, the people who uh, were, ta had taken nearly a month to work on repairing the closet and were only halfway through, sort of home repair, you know, the, these these are clearly beyond the usual range of workability. <laughs> or at least they were for, for uh, people giving those. And so the question is, how do we make things, how do we bring these aspects of our life into the workable range, and how do we remember the intention to take this as learning? That's, that's challenging, and that's, that's a lot of what we focused on. Uh, I was inspired, I have been inspired by that line from the Tibetan yogi Shabkar who says, let your life and practice be one. And what this is really pointing to is to look carefully to see if we sometimes use our spiritual practice or our meditation practice in ways in which we don't take everything as learning, in which we either compartmentalize our practice, now I'm practicing, and now I'm not or something is difficult coming up and I just revert to old habitual tendencies. So we want increasingly to find ways to bring our practice into situations where formerly we hadn't brought, it in, brought uh, our practice in. Another area that we can attend to is to uh, avoid what's sometimes called spiritual bypassing in which we may use spiritual language or spiritual practice and sometimes not deal with um, phenomena that are there for us. We can use spiritual language to judge people, to not deal with conflict, or to uh, avoid looking at some territory. One of my favorite examples of this comes from a friend uh, named Mariana Kaplan who lives nearby who wrote a uh, first uh, uh, kind of a, a short essay that later got turned into a play and has found an amazing love, level of resonance. It was called Zen Boyfriends. <laughs> it was about a series of people she was dating who seemed to use spiritual practice to avoid commitment. <laughs> <laughs> and so she found that, uh, you can look it up on the web, just look up Zen Boyfriends and you can find the story. It's a great, there are a lot of great uh, lines there and, you know, and um, some amazing dialogue. And I actually, I actually know one of the people she was dating. <laughs> he actually has a different view <laughs> of what occurred, but that's, that's another story. <laughs> And I don't know whether he would have written Zen Girlfriends. <laughs> Any case. Uh, so we want to we want to look out for that. Uh, so again, there there are um, part of my inspiration for taking this topic was hearing stories. Last time I, I told about a friend who was recently diagnosed with par Parkinson's and found habitual tendencies coming up and then actually moved within a short time to notice those stories and to move to an attitude of learning and actually came to compassion. Or I, I heard just a few days ago a story of uh, a woman who, was, uh, who, who uh, actually saw that even she was attending to the death of her mother and of course, and at first she just didn't, you know, taking this as learning was the furthest 
idea from her mind, but after her mother died, sometime after, she could see that I learned amazing things from that, and I actually came to greater compassion. Right? And so life often takes us uh, dragging, you know, uh, drag, you know, dragging or holding on. Or it's like David White has a line where it says something like, uh, uh, every time that I let go of something, there were claw marks on whatever I let go of. <laughs> you know? So it's not easy. But life often offers us these opportunities to learn. And sometimes we learn even though that's not our intention. You know, as we learn from difficult experiences. There's something, I guess one this is pointing to, there's something deep in our nature that's about learning. And we could, we, again, could use different words for that. Learning, keeping on practicing, and so forth. So, um, so talking uh, with this person, talking with another person who was talking about seeing these habitual tendencies and so much wanting to approach everything with learning, not to be a prisoner of her habitual tendencies. How can I keep learning for this? How can I actually be with these habitual tendencies as practice? You know, a deep intention to do that. You know, I, I talked also last time about this principle of taking uh, the noticing of a difference of views with another person or maybe someone in the public arena as a starting point for practice and actually saying, how can I, when I notice a difference in views, have interest and be uh, willing to see this as potential learning, whatever the other person does. But to see, I can learn myself. I can see, why do I have such a reaction with this person or this view? and so forth. And I was thinking about that, that there's really this uh, deep principle of dialogue and inquiry that's there in many, many cultures where we actually learn potentially from our differences. You know? And we, we have this sense of, of, of open dialogue where we actually can appreciate differences and come to a deeper understanding. And of course, it works much better if both people have that attitude <laughs> and have that, uh, you know, have some way to hold the differences. That makes a huge difference. But even one can unilaterally ch choose to learn from differences. And that's, that's, uh, that can be one way of putting this idea of learning into practice. And I was thinking of, you know, there's, a, there's a, I know a few languages. One of the languages I know is German, and there's a word in German uh, call, uh, which is Auseinandersetzung, which means actually establish, it's, it's a word that is sometimes used for conflict or for actually aspects of dialogue. And literally what it means is establishing something out of each other. In other words, something new comes out of the interaction. And I think it's amazing to have that kind of uh, understanding right there in the language. You know, with English, we have a harder time because we don't know a lot of the roots of the language. A lot of it's in Latin, or it feels abstract. We don't, you know, like a word like conflict. We don't know what the roots are very easily, you know, or we don't know. But in, in quite a number of languages, I think this is true of, uh, you know, for example, Chinese and Japanese, but it's true of, of some of the European languages as well. There's a sense in the very words of a deeper meaning, you know, or the, the sense of you know, the images, yeah. What's that word again? Aus einander Zetzung. It's A-U-S-E-I-N-A-N-D-E-R-S-E-T-Z-U-N-G. <laughs> okay, for those interested. But what it literally means is, aus means out of, einander means each other, and zetsung means something like establishing. So establishing out of each other. So something new comes out of the differences. I, I've always been inspired by that. And it's possible, actually, to take this sense of learning to larger arenas. I mentioned how at Spirit Rock we've been wanting to take Spirit Rock, understand Spirit Rock, this again came a lot from Philip Moffat, as a learning organization. 
what does it mean for an organization to take its core intention as learning, not as accomplishing this objective, but the fundamental aim as being a learning organization, which means to align the organization with a sense of practice. What would it mean to take a group, an organization, a family, a whole society as learning? How could we take even the challenges, the large systemic challenges of our world as potential learning rather than just problems, right? It's really to, I think, to even go to that level, we need the competences of those who are skilled at working with um, difficult emotions, thoughts, being able to uh, take everything as learning on an individual level, interpersonal level, but then one can bring that out and even taking it on a larger level. I think the world needs deeply people who have that capacity and can even frame all the things happening in the world as part of evolutionary learning. It changes things when we do that. We need a, some, quite a big view. But the capacities, the individual capacities, are exactly what we're talking about here. I think those, we need millions of people who have that capacity to deal with the larger challenges of our world. So I wanted to make that, make that connection. So we looked at those different challenges to taking everything as learning. We named a lot of them, individual, interpersonal, and so forth. And I wanted to uh, really do just uh, maybe two things for the rest of the time. One is to uh, talk some more about what supports our intention to take everything as learning, some of the qualities that support it, and then have a good time for dialogue and hear some of what you've explored as well as any questions and discussions which come out of this. But to go back to this core capacity that we looked at quite a bit last time, how do we take these challenging experiences and say, oh, something to learn? Jack Kornfield has a line where he says, oh, fear is present. What am I about to learn? How am I about to expand when I work with fear? Right? That's not our usual tendency. So this is to encourage really that sense of interest, curiosity, and even mystery. So that, that connects with this question of what really supports the, the ability to take uh, everything as learning. Let me name a few qualities. But actually, let me, before I do that, let me ask you just to reflect for a minute now and we'll do something similar to what we did last time and, and get some group responses. What helps you, just reflect silently for a minute or two, what helps you to take everything as learning? See if you can formulate that in a phrase or a sentence so we'd be able to hear uh, quite a few people. Nothing, nothing too long, nothing more than a sentence or two. And let's, um, we'll use the mic. And let's hear, again, if you can just say it in a sentence or two, what helps you to take everything as learning? We might be focusing on what helps us to take challenges of learning. So and let's also say our name. And the first two are right, right next to each other. Um, Scott, um, I, it seems to me that, um, in my case at least. A little closer to them. Yeah. If, that um, if, you, if you are, I don't know if this will make sense, but if you are secure in a refuge of, sort, yeah. of a kind that you have, a psychological, emotional, or a spiritual refuge, learning becomes infinitely easier. The, the problem with being unable to learn is often fear or the destabilization mm -hmm. that comes with uh, not being able to cope. It's an inability to cope, really. If you feel like you can pretty much 
everything will ultimately be okay, this is not the end of the world, mm -hmm. then you're open to um, alternative possibilities. Mm -hmm. yeah, you can give it to Mark. So uh, having some kind of refuge or something that gives some support um, so we're not just caught in fear or some other emotion or thought pattern. Please, uh, Mark. Yeah, this is not <clears throat> particularly deep, but it's the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. And everyone probably knows this, but the first line comes is, is it's not personal. Yeah. Something happens, and then you kind of react to it from your own, yeah, it's, it's, it's all directed toward yeah. me. And if you can stand back for a second, you kind of go, this, this event is just happening, and it's really not personally directed yeah. toward you. So saying it's not personal, not so easy. Some more on the... So I hear, and see if again, if you can just say it in one or two sentences, that would be helpful so we can hear more people. Hi, this is Liz. Um, to follow up on what he, he just said, the first part of it is, oh, this is happening. Yeah. I mean, just the awareness and the acceptance that you're uncomfortable, you know, there's something going on in your body or in your mind. Yeah. And that's the first step before Great. you can then even this is happening. work with it. Yeah, this yeah, is happening. Yeah. I think we have some up here. Hey, uh, one of the uh, things I try to do whenever I'm um, initial response is to blame outside myself is to ask myself how have I contributed to this? How have I contributed, yeah. Take responsibility. Let's say our names. Laura, yeah. I was thinking about compassion. Yeah. Having compassion for the other person or the other situation yeah. helps me to learn. Great, yeah. And on this side. <laughs> uh, my name is Adrian. To have time, to have mm -hmm. uh, some, t to be unencumbered by too much stuff to do, I think gives us space. And it also g gives me space. Um, so that when things do get real frenetic, I can still feel that mm -hmm. having time to, or mm -hmm. stopping to, to think about stuff. Some sense of spaciousness, you know, and not being driven, you know. Let's go with just these that have, their, have had their hands up, and we'll finish with that. Marty, please. Meditation. Okay, meditation. Okay, it's an unusual response in this group, but and we, we accept it. Sleep. <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> Great. Okay. Um, it may have been said, but it's basically just stopping for a moment and saying, wow, what emotion's coming up for me? It's yeah. an awareness. Um, and just letting go of what's going on around you and saying, okay, there's, there's something happening here and yeah. I need to pay attention. Yeah. So paying attention, what's happening? Kind of the opposite. I was thinking of that old Bob Dylan song. There's something happening here, and you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? So, the meditative approach is: there's something happening here, and you do know what it is, don't you, Mr. Jones? Anyway, that's a, some of you may find that reference helpful. So. I'm Terry. Um, I think it's my desire not to feel stuck or stagnant. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. That I want to feel like I'm moving. Yeah, so an intention or a wish to not feel stuck, yeah. Yeah, and I stop, say, how have I been conditioned to react to this, mm -hmm. and where am I with it? What am I choosing? Yeah. Yeah, so again, it's related to that sense of taking responsibility. Yeah, it was great. Maybe last one? Uh, the last two, one in the back behind uh, my you. My name's <coughs> Laurel, and um, the woman before me, Pretty much said what I was thinking. Choice. Yeah. I have a choice about being stuck. Yeah. In it, or learning from it. Or learning. Yeah, that's great. And right behind you. Well, mine already got said too in so many ways, but just yeah. being unstressed was mine. Being unstressed. Answer, and I'm okay. Juanita. Great. So, um, this was great. I won't give the rest of my talk. No. <laughs> This was actually we named uh, a lot of wonderful aspects, and uh, I'll, I wrote them down. So I'll try to remember them as I just name a few things, and some of them will be will be uh, resonant with what was just named. So 
uh, some of them that I had on my list, the starting point is mindfulness, which was really mentioned in different ways by many people, just to notice what's happening, a starting point, right? Uh, and it's that noticing, that pres- sense of presence or awareness, which actually uh, creates some space. You know, mindfulness itself means that I am not fully identified with what's happening. We, so we say, mindfulness of anger is not angry. Really crucial point. So it means that even if I'm 90% locked into anger, there's 10% of me which is not locked in. And we can actually use that 10% as a pivot and let it get bigger. Let it go to 60% or 70%. And so we may sometimes not think that that moment of mindfulness, we may say, oh gosh, the 90% is there. But I think that can be misleading because the 10% can be so crucial for helping to change things. And so we may feel, oh, it's just the habits are so strong, the energy is so strong, but still just the naming of it can make a huge difference and can create some space where other things can happen. And so it's to, uh, it's to name what's going on, very crucial, a starting point, you know, to, to do that. Uh, one of the benefits of longer-term mindfulness is that we actually can come to know and see clearly many of our patterns. You know, so when we increasingly become experts on our own patterns. And so this makes a huge difference when we are uh, being reactive or when something is coming up. Increasingly, we notice, oh, there is that pattern, you know, if we've looked at it in the past. And so actually studying our patterns of reaction, or could also be the patterns of grasping, actually in moments which aren't so challenging, as it were, builds up the resources that let us then later, in a moment of difficulty, notice more clearly what's happening. And increasingly we can, we can go to difficult situations or ones that we imagine might be difficult and have the intention to ha- even have a strategy. If this comes up, I will, here's what I will do. Because a lot of times we'll go to situations and we'll have a good sense that they may be challenging, right? Or that we may be triggered. We can actually have the intention to go in there with a particular strategy. Um, mindfulness also gives that sense of spaciousness, right? And I think also that, that, that sense of relaxing that uh, Adrian brought up, very, very crucial to have that sense of not rushing, of relaxing, not easy, right? It's something that uh, is a quite an important guidance for me, you know, uh, to have that sense in the moment, not to rush. To, to, if I feel that driven quality, to be aware of that and just say, and just say to myself, relax, give space. That makes huge, a huge difference. Um, the quality of equanimity is a vital one to develop. Equanimity is the capacity to be balanced with whatever's coming up. And again, this is a fruit of sustained practice. It really comes out of the experience of, out of past experience. If I've been able to be with challenging experiences, again, they might be ones where I get triggered or ones where I'm grasping, and I have uh, increasingly the experience, I will become increasingly equanimous, balanced, not so reactive with a range of experience. Another way of saying this is what, what used to be in the overwhelm zone moves into the workable zone. That's very interesting. Something that was beyond my capacity three years ago, is now in my capacity. That's a fruit of practice. That's a fruit of continual mindfulness. And again, it's not linear. It can sometimes, some moments can be too much for whatever reason. It's not linear, but generally there's that movement in practice. The heart practices are crucial. You know, I I use heart practices as a way of talking about compassion that Laura mentioned, uh, metta, forgiveness, joy, uh, gratitude, and so forth. And that 
there, there's this principle that I, I talked about last time that is very, very crucial that when there are, when there's a time that may be more challenging, it's very, very helpful to spend a certain amount of our time in what we might call restorative and renewing types of experiences. So to have a certain amount of time with these heart practices can really restore us. Something I've, we've talked from time to time here about forgiveness practice. In interpersonal difficulties, forgiveness can be wonderful. You know, I've, I've talked at times, we, we looked at, I think last uh, winter or maybe the winter before, we looked at forgiveness practice and taken as a daily practice, it's amazing. It can really uh, help one to get unstuck. I'm stuck interpersonally. Forgiveness practice can unstick me. And it's something, again, we can practice in daily times when the degree of difficulty isn't so high. I like to practice forgiveness while driving. Either offering forgiveness to others or asking forgiveness for myself. You know, and uh, it, it's, it's I, my experiences, and maybe this is your experience with forgiveness, it, I can feel that for the forgiveness practice depolarizes. Just in a moment, it can do that. It gets us unstuck. And so having these heart practices, hanging out there a certain amount of time, hanging out with calm, very, very crucial. For anyone, for example, who has, who's opening up to further difficulties, even whether because they're necessarily there or sometimes out of our own intention. Someone who, for example, works with a lot of challenge in work, who wants to take on some of the larger social issues, having the time to spend in ways that are renewing is very, very crucial. You know, you know I, I was thinking of the um, life of Dr. King and the black church, you know, the, the place of song and the place of actually prayer in those contexts gave them ways in very, very challenging times to come back to a sense of balance, of refuge, as Scott was bringing up, of uh, connection. I think of that, I thought of that old spiritual, there is a balm in Gilead. Some of you know that, you know, that there's a sense that there's always accessible some refuge, some way of coming back to a sense of care, and love and renewal. And doing that in a regular way, very, very crucial if we have a lot of challenges. It, it gives the inner balance that likes it, lets us take everything as learning. And so sometimes if we're feeling like that, taking of everything as learning is hard, we might be called to do more of these practices, metta or compassion or forgiveness, either on the spot or for periods of time. It does something to the heart that is very uh, helpful. Or it might be being with beauty, being with, with that which uh, brings us back. There's also the heart practice of empathy. Again, interpersonally. Again, this, is, uh, this was brought out in different ways by, by a number of people of having empathy for another, depolarizing, but it also could mean having empathy for myself and then asking, uh, how am I responsible? Right? That's a radical move, right? Because uh, we like to judge or blame. And taking responsibility doesn't mean judging ourselves. It actually comes from a different place. Uh, related to what Scott was bringing up in terms of refuge, I think there's this whole quality of refuge, of confidence, of faith that's also very important for taking everything as learning. And partly it comes from past experience. As we've taken things as learning in the past, it builds that capacity. But there's something, it takes a certain amount of confidence, faith, groundedness, rootedness to take everything as learning, right? Because when we are reactive, we, in a sense, we lose that center. We lose that groundedness. So whatever helps us to have that sense of ground, of refuge, of of Self-confidence, but also confidence in the very principle of learning, the very principle of practice. Whatever helps, that will be very, very much uh, a support. Um, you know, the sense more and more, and again, again, I heard this with many of the responses, 
the sense more and more that I can act out of my authentic self, if we want to use that language, that I can, act, that I can know my deep intuition and know what's right, that when we call on that, increasingly we get good guidance. We can, act, we can really check in increasingly with our sense of intuition, our sense of my authentic voice, and know the distinction between my authentic voice and my inauthentic voice. And this is also lifetime of practice to develop that. But these, these are all connected with the sense of confidence, refuge, faith, faith ultimately in one's own connection to wisdom and compassion. I'll mention a few other qualities. One of them is working a lot with intention, very crucial for taking everything as learning. As we might have seen, it may have changed things last week to start the day by saying, I want to take everything as learning. Let me have that intention. Working with intention is fundamental. And we can work with intention at the beginning of the day, before an activity, before something challenging. And having the intention doesn't mean that the intention is necessarily realized, but it helps. <laughs> you know, I may have the intention before a meeting. I will go in and speak careful, thoughtful speech from my heart. And then two minutes later, someone says something, I'm completely triggered, and words come out which are, do not follow that intention. That's okay. Then we can come back to the intention you know, we come back to the intention. Intention doesn't guarantee anything, but it helps. That's a way to hold it. <laughs> very, very important. Um, uh, Dr. Arya Ratni from uh, Sri Lanka, who organized uh, the Sarvodaya movement, was its main, has been its main leader, which brought uh, sort of aspects of uh, Buddhist practice to 15,000 villages in Sri Lanka. And as I've mentioned, I've mentioned his name over the years. Uh, you know, I've met him a number of times, and I did an interview with him for the book, The Engaged Spiritual Life, and he had this one line about intention which really has stayed with me, or this one, one part of his response. He said, when I do something with good intentions and I quote-unquote fail, I do not take it as a failure. It may be a failure to others, but to me it is not a failure because that failure may have taught me equanimity or detachment or renunciation. In learning to accept failure, in a sense, I succeed. Every action that I carry out carries an internal reason which is always beneficial to me. Do you hear that attitude of taking everything as learning? Even if it outwardly doesn't succeed, if my motivation is learning, as we sometimes say, it's all good. <laughs> so that's a deep one, isn't it? That's a deep, that's a deep aspect of intention. What would it be like to have shared intentions of learning, again, in one's organization, in one's family, in one's relationship? That's the invitation. And then there's a sense of, uh, I think something which also can help is having a sense of imagination. Is having a sense of, this is again, it's the spaciousness of not being locked into where I think this is what should happen or must happen, but having a sense of openness, partly openness to mystery. What might, what might occur? What might really uh, uh, happen? I don't know. You know, the habitual mind thinks, I know. And can we have that openness to something happening that we would never have expected before? There's a book by uh, Paul Loeb called The Impossible Will Take a Little While, which is about the use of the imagination in social change. Right? Quite important. I think I wanted to read this story. I think some of you may have heard this, but I really, I really love it. Uh, this is from Naomi Shihab Nye, and it's about the power of imagination. And this is in a, what could be a very challenging situation. This was, uh, took place at an airport where a flight was delayed. It's called 
Gate 4A. And I should mention, some of you know Naomi Shehab Nye. She's a Palestinian-American poet. And here's her story. Wandering around the Albuquerque airport terminal, after learning my flight had been detained four hours, I heard an announcement. If anyone in the vicinity of Gate 4A understands any Arabic, please come to the gate immediately. Well, one pauses these days. <laughs> she said. Gate 4A was my own gate. I went there. An older woman in full traditional Palestinian embroidered dress, just like my grandma wore, was crumpled to the floor, wailing loudly. Help, said the flight service, a person. Talk to her. What's her problem? We told her the flight was going to be late, and she did this. I stooped to put my arm around the woman and spoke to her haltingly. Shudawa, shubiduk, habiti, stani shwe, min falik, shubitsiwi? The minute she heard any words she knew, however poorly used, she stopped crying. She thought the flight had been canceled entirely. She needed to be in El Paso uh, for major medical treatment the next day. I said, you're fine. You'll get there. Who's picking you up? Let's call him. We called her son. And I spoke with him in English. I told him I would stay with her, his mother till we got on the plane and would ride next to her. She talked to him. Then we called her other sons just for fun. <laughs> then we called my dad. And he and she spoke for a while in Arabic and found out, of course, that they had 10 shared friends. Then I thought, just for the heck of it, why not call some Palestinian poets I know and let them chat with her. This all took up about two hours. She was laughing a lot by then, telling about her life, patting my knee, answering questions. She pulled out a sack of homemade Mahmood cookies, little powdered sugar, crumbly mounds stuffed with dates and nuts out of her bag and was offering them to all the women at the gate. <laughs> to my amazement, not a single woman declined them, declined one of, the, one of the cookies. It was like a sacrament. The traveler from Argentina, the, the mom from California, the lovely woman from Laredo, we were all covered with the same powdered sugar. <laughs> and smiling, there is no better cookie. And then the airline broke out the free beverages <laughs> from huge coolers and two little girls in our flight ran around serving all of us apple juice, and they were all covered with powdered sugar, too. And I noticed my new best friend, by now we were holding hands, had a potted plant poking out of her bag, some medicinal thing with green furry leaves, such an old country traveling tradition, always carry a plant, always stay rooted to somewhere. And I looked around that gate of late and weary ones and thought, this is the world I want to live in, the shared world. Not a single person in this gate, once the crying of confusion stopped, seemed apprehensive about any other person. They took the cookies. I wanted to hug all those other women, too. This can still happen anywhere. Not everything is lost. So that sense of possibility, of mystery, of openness, it's a very important quality. It's a good way to, to, to finish and invoke that sense of mystery and spaciousness and not knowing and really uh, could interpret that story also as a trust in the heart, a trust in the good heart in an outwardly challenging situation. <clears throat> in that sense in which when we really deeply take everything as learning, things unfold in mysterious ways at times and in beautiful ways. So please, any <coughs> reflections, comments, uh, sharings from the last week? Um, look forward to this. Please, so we start up front and we can go then to the back. Yep. Start up front. Okay. Um, I've been kind of working with this on yeah. my own for about the last year. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I have a relationship where the other person wants a different relationship from what I do. Yeah. And one of the things that I keep getting caught up with, and it, it's confusing, is I'm busy trying to not grasp and detach and 
have some equanimity. But then sometimes I get confused about, but what about having boundaries? Yeah. My own boundaries. And yeah. I, I get lost in that sometimes. Do you have some wisdom on that? Let me check. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no, it's a great question because we could hear um, taking everything as learning doesn't mean being passive. Being equanimous doesn't mean being passive. And we can sometimes get that sense from the way some forms of spiritual practice or meditation are presented. I should just be receptive, accept everything, and so forth. And there's a very important place for uh, boundaries, for action, for being clear about what seems right to you, and also for one's own intentions and aspirations. Right? So none of this means uh, being a pushover. None of it means being overly nice. Right? And one can uh, follow all of these qualities and sometimes be firm, sometimes even appear fierce, and say no, set boundaries, and so forth. So uh, how to do that skillfully is another matter. That's not always so easy. Uh, and and that's, that's a large topic in itself, how to speak, how to hold it inside. But I think it's actually a very uh, crucial topic uh, in terms of working particularly with challenging situations and taking them as learning without giving up one's own uh, authenticity, if we want to call it that, or one's own voice, or one's own legitimate needs. Yeah? I guess sometimes that line, excuse me, sometimes that line, am I asking because it's reasonable and a boundary? Yeah. And that's, or am I, is it really grasping and I'm not yeah. seeing that? So it's, it's a great question. It's gray. And um, I think the, if you, if you uh, ask that question and follow the inquiry, I would say that's 80% of what you need to attend to. Just ask that question and listen. And you don't need to get the answer right away, but that quality of inquiry goes a long way, even if it's not in the moment comfortable because you don't have a clear answer. But if you keep asking, so some of this also is the faith to ask questions and not get immediate answers. That's hard, but that's part of what we're talking about. To take something as learning, you know, it's like that, you remember that quote I, I sometimes give from Rilke's letter to a young poet, letters to a young poet, where he tells the young poet who wants everything to be clear now at age 21, and he, he says to the young poet, uh, don't ask for all the answers now, I'm paraphrasing, because you are not actually uh, able <coughs> to get to a lot of the answers now. You have to live into them. Meanwhile, live the questions. And someday, in the future, you will live into the answers. That's important. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So back, back here. Monday had an interesting experience. Uh, I thought, oh, we had such a beautiful weekend, Easter, kids finding eggs, and I was at a nice place. Went down to Fort Baker next to the Coast Guard station, and I did my Qigong down there by the bay. Got in my car, and I sat there, and all of a sudden, bells, whistles, Coast Guard goes out, comes back, a jumper off the bridge. And I said, wait a minute. And a big cloud of... Is suicide right? You know, what is this, uh, ethics, all that stuff? And I thought on my track, I said, what can I learn from this? And I stopped there, and I tracked this body out. The police are there, ambulances. And I said, all this energy, the person made a choice. I need to honor that person. How can I do it? I said, oh, they left their body behind and their spirit's free. And I sort of moved my hand up in the air, up over the bridge, and it was like really funny. It came right off of me. I just stood there. I said, oh, it's gone. And the whole 
all the stuff around it, and I just went back into my day, and it was okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you for you teaching us this. Yeah, the, this principle of, yeah, I think it's much, much as uh, with the last inquiry, it's really how can I just keep asking the question without necessarily looking right away for a response? You know, and it probably is something like that could be good to sit with for a while because there are a lot of aspects of that. You know, the level of care of the people in the Coast Guard, you, that could be appreciated, right? You know, and a lot of different aspects to that that one can sit with. Yeah, thank you. And, and I think just asking the question as you did is so, so big. And you got, a, you got a response which really shifted you. It sounds, sounds great. Uh, hi. Yeah, my name is John. Yeah. Um, I've only been practicing for like a couple of months, so I'm yeah. relatively new at this. But um, yesterday something happened. Um, during the experience, I wasn't thinking in terms of this is a learning experience, but right after I realized it was, um, I was going up to Santa Rosa to, for an appointment with my personal trainer. It's a workout. And then right after that, I had to go to... I didn't have to go to, but I had an appointment with some friends to play some music. And as I was driving on 101 around Novato, I realized that I had forgotten my music books that I, I need to have when I play. And it was too late to, I was like in a quandary mm. because I had this appointment to go to. And in the past, I would have immediately, I guess, the judgmental mind, like, how could you forget those books? You know, how stupid, or that kind of thought would have arisen. And um, I just kind of stopped and said, well, that's the way it is. I forgot the books, so what do I do now? So I said, okay, well, I guess I can cancel my personal trainer go back and get my books from San Anselmo and then go to my appointment with my friends or I could go to my appointment with a personal trainer then I would have to go to my music appointment without my books and I wouldn't be able to play. So I was like in a quandary there like which do I do? So I said well I guess I'll cancel my personal trainer because that's usually a torturous experience. (laughs) (laughs) So I called, and I, I knew I was going to get voicemail. Yeah. So I called, and I was thinking, well, I could say, in the past, this is what I would have done. Yeah. My car broke down, <laughs> and I'm waiting for AAA, <laughs> and I'm going to miss my, this appointment. Yeah. And then I thought, well, that's really not true. <laughs> okay. So I said, something's come up at the last minute. I'm going to have to cancel. Yeah. I didn't have time to go into all the details. Yeah. So that's what I said. And I went back and got my books. Yeah. Went to my appointment. So right at that time or right after that, I was thinking, wow, I was able to just handle this yeah. without being judgmental, making a choice, telling the truth. Yeah. And this must be something that I've learned through this practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there that, uh, you know, and, and I guess going through that, it, 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 um, in, in itself, it, it both reflects practice and, as it were, stabilizes that learning. You know, and the different elements were, were named here. You know, it was just to ask what's happening, to notice habitual tendencies. Probably there were some tendencies to judge, but you just say, okay, what's happening? And then to have the spaciousness and the relaxed quality, just say, what are my options? And to name, okay, here are the two options. Which do I want? And probably you were able to decide from a balanced, uh, non-reactive place. And uh, it, was, it was a difficult situation. And all of those qualities were strengthened by what you did. Right? And so, uh, and how did you feel afterwards? You felt probably okay, right? And, and could appreciate that there was some, some movement there. Yeah, so thank you, wonderful story. Yeah. Uh, 
Anyone else? We have maybe have time for one more. If there's one brief, brief one. If there's anyone who wanted to speak who didn't, please maybe last so last one. I was I reminded myself of the value of writing yeah. <laughs> in this last week. Um, I received a email, uh, a rather terse in my experience, oh, yeah. <laughs> email from a. Um, uh, a medical practitioner whom I know is very busy and that's what works best for her is to communicate that way and it doesn't work very well for me mm. and I thought I'm going to respond without sending <laughs> mm -hmm. the response yeah. so that I can get the feelings out what you know what hit me yeah, about to, that to email that, yeah. out there um, years ago a therapist pointed out to me that when when reactions are out of scale and you really know they're out of scale, it's probably about mother. <laughs> and I have found that to be reliably true, <laughs> but in a really useful way. <laughs> With all the forgiveness done. <laughs> so it's about my response to, <laughs> to those early, early circumstances. And so I did indeed write, oh, several hundred words, <laughs> which I never would have sent. But there were the feelings of yeah. uh, being defective and not measuring up and not doing well enough and so forth. And um, it's still, I've sent none of it. Yeah. Um, there is 10% maybe that um, might be worth communicating <laughs> in an adult way. But um, it was, I moved it. I moved it all from inside to on the, on the desktop, so to speak. That's great. So. <laughs> yeah. And did, did, did our invitation to take everything as learning, was that part of the background for yes. you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so again, there's much like uh, John's example, there are a lot of things to point to. There's the spaciousness, actually all of our examples, I would say. Um, there's the spaciousness of... Um, not reacting right away. You know, Sylvia probably talks about her basic practice of what she calls think it over. <laughs> <laughs> or if something, I, I often take as a practice with emails, if there's something charged, I give it a day and don't react right away. And so you were doing that, you were tracking, you used it as a, a starting point for inquiry, what's there? You use the, the writing as a process to help you to do that, to inquire, and learned a lot in the process, right? And so you meet and, and really approached it, I mean, with, with this idea of learning and inquiry. And mostly, you know, these are really synonyms for being as wise, as skillful in our response to each moment as we can, can be. And that's what I'm hearing, I think, when really what everyone brought up. You know, just to keep asking the question, what's, take it as, uh, take it as learning, take it as inquiry, is really at the heart of what we're doing, and all these different methods, you know, writing, reflecting, mindfulness, um, and so forth, are, are part of it. So I'll invite you to uh, take this practice of taking everything as learning, and my invitation would be to adopt it for the rest of your lives. <laughs> okay? And the starting point would be for the next week. <laughs> so if this, is, uh, if this seems helpful, even though I won't, I won't be back next week, but I'll invite you, just, let's take a moment before finishing just to set your intention of how you might take what we explored this morning further. You might want to, again, it can be very valuable. If you take it for the next week, it'll really help this uh, core intention be there more for you in the future. So see what the intention is that comes out of the morning. And then we close by remembering that we practice for ourselves, but also very much for others. And 
May our practice, our taking everything as learning, be of benefit to ourselves, be benefit, be of benefit to those in our lives, and then beyond those circles, be of benefit to all other beings, both near and far away. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.